0: 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1, and we'll just read a a few verses from the beginning of chapter 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. Amen. May the Lord bless to us this reading from his word. A couple of months ago we spent some weeks thinking about Paul's first epistle to the Thessalonians and you may recall some of those studies um, You might remember that we said at the beginning of of that little series that we thought that it might have been Paul's very first epistle. The first letter to the Thessalonians was his very first epistle that he, he wrote of the 13 or 14 that we have in our New Testament. And you may also recall that that epistle was occasioned by the return of Timothy with the good news that the Thessalonian church was doing well. Uh, Paul had had to uh, leave Thessalonica um, uh, during a time of persecution and uh, that persecution continued and Paul, anxious to know of the condition of the church, sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to see how things were progressing. And Timothy had returned, said to Paul that things were going well. And and throughout the the first letter, we learn a a number of things that the apostle um, spoke to the Thessalonians about. And despite the trials that they were experiencing... Paul used that first epistle for the opportunity to correct a number of errors also that had crept into the fellowship. This second epistle now that we're going to look at over the next few weeks if the Lord will graciously allow was probably written shortly after the first one. In fact, it may be only a few months between these two epistles and uh, we can't be absolutely sure about that but there are some indications that that's the case. And it would appear that one of the reasons for writing this epistle was that part of was that news or, or the apostle had received news that part of the message of that first epistle had been misunderstood by the Thessalonians. And that especially with reference to the second coming of Christ. The Thessalonians had deduced, either just through a mistake, or perhaps they were wrongly directed in their thinking, but they had deduced from Paul's words that the day of Christ, or the return of Christ, was imminent, it was at hand, and that Christ's coming was was just about to happen, and consequently, they were failing to care for their families and to manage their affairs properly. And what we'll discover is that Paul corrects that uh, wrong thinking uh, almost immediately as he gets into this epistle. And and chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, will deal with this mistake that had arisen in Thessalonica. And Paul tells the, uh, uh, the, the, the people that Uh, What must first take place is something he calls the apostasy. The apostasy would arise first before the Lord Jesus Christ came back. And we're going to come back to that in a few weeks, God willing, when we look at chapter 2. Just to to think about uh, the, the opening introduction today, the epistle opens with Paul's Usual greeting, and we, we, because of familiarity, we ought not to pass over it for for that reason. Um, so what we're going to do now is just restrict ourselves to these opening four verses, and uh, we learn from them in verse one that Sylvanus or Silas, as he is sometimes called, it's the same person, and Timothy are still together with Paul. And that's actually one of the reasons why this epistle is thought to have been, or the two epistles are thought to have been written close together. Uh, Because here, uh, Silas and Timothy and Paul are still together in uh, in the same place in in Corinth. And we also uh, notice that there is a close connection, In the Apostle's mind between being a church, he addresses this to the Church of the Thessalonians. There's a close connection in the mind of the Apostle between uh, being a, a, a church or part of the spiritual body of Christ and union with God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So what makes a church a church is this union with God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to just touch on that briefly because many groups and organizations take the name church. You go to any town, you go to any city, and you will find buildings, you will find congregations, you will find activities that all take place under the umbrella of the name church. But what makes a church is the spiritual fellowship of believers with one another and with the divine persons. That is the the, the litmus test, if you like, for what a church is. Spiritual fellowship amongst believers And with the divine persons. And and let me make clear a, a personal application of this. Our little fellowship here today, our little fellowship on the Lord's Day, might not be a church in the normally understood way of personally and physically meeting in a building. But we are a church, nonetheless, and we are part of the church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are a church just as surely as the believers at Thessalonica were a church, because we are united in Christ, we are united with one another, and we share worship of God and the ministry of the gospel. This is the body of believers that the Lord has blessed us with and we receive his good provision just as fully as did the churches of the apostolic age and all true churches ever since. I don't want you thinking that you don't have a proper church because you don't get into your car on a Sunday morning. We are the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are blessed under mutual fellowship, love, care, and the uh, uh, common salvation which we have found in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The Apostle teaches these brethren that they have union with God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we might we might just pause on that for a moment and and, and ask ourselves how is it possible that mortal men and women, fallen creatures, sinful people, can have union with God, who is spiritual and who is holy? We are bound by time and space, our God is eternal. Well, we can have union with God, certainly not because of anything that we have done or we have earned or accomplished in ourselves. If that were the case, we'd have grounds for pride before God. But it is not the case. On the contrary, Paul tells the Thessalonians, and thereby he tells us, that we are a church in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, because we have received grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the Lord's people because of what we have been freely given and because of the grace of God. We are united in Christ by grace. We are reconciled to God by the substitutionary death of our Saviour. And this grace and peace that the Apostle speaks about here is ground zero for believers. It is where salvation begins in our doctrine and in our experience. It is the foundation of all hope and comfort that we have. All we have by way of Christian faith and spiritual hope is founded on God's everlasting love, manifested in his good will towards us and our just acceptance by Christ's death. Let me, let me bind all that that I've just said together in a few Bible verses because Paul says exactly that to the Romans in chapter 5. He says this, God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. You see, all we have, all our experience, all our understanding comes by God's goodness, by God's gift and grace. And it is conveyed to us spiritually because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished on the cross. So that when the Apostle speaks of grace and peace, as he does in every introduction to his epistles that he writes, as the Apostle speaks of grace and peace, he is speaking, as the Thessalonians knew, about the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ on our behalf substitutionary atonement was the gospel Paul preached and it was the message that he had preached amongst the Thessalonians when he had been with them. So Paul tells us in Romans chapter 11 verse 6 that grace, the grace and peace that he has been talking about or the gospel message of substitutionary atonement grace is the heart of of our relationship with God. And of necessity, works are excluded from that. Grace and works, says Paul in Romans 11, are mutually exclusive. If what we receive from God is based in any way upon works, it's not of grace. If it is of grace, which we believe it is, then it can have no element or component of creature works in it. And this is why Paul goes on to say here in verse 3, and, and let us just notice this, because I think this is such an important point. He goes on to say in verse 3, we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, or as it is appropriate. It's appropriate, indeed, we are bound To thank God always for you. Paul thanked God for the grace that he saw in the lives of the Thessalonians. And he traced that transformation of character that was evidenced in the Thessalonians' lives to the grace of God. Let me say it like this. Paul didn't praise the Thessalonians for their faith. He thanked God for it because Paul knew that anything and everything of of a spiritual nature in a believer must be traced and tracked back to its origin, the grace of God. The grace of God in Christ by which we are justified and reconciled to him. Grace and peace. So Paul begins all his epistles in the same way, thanking God for God's grace and peace in the lives of the believers to whom he is writing. Thanking God for placing in the heart and experience of his people the transforming and converting grace that makes a man and a woman what they never could be otherwise. And it's why we too, Sunday after Sunday, Tuesday after Tuesday, repeat, repeat, repeat again and again the gospel message of God's everlasting love and efficacious grace. It is God who has made us what we are by the death of his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Speaking of these spiritual matters, Paul asks the believers in Corinth, Who made thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? So we must always trace our spiritual life to God's mercy and grace, because so long as we live in this flesh, it will be the only solid ground of hope and comfort in our fight with the old man. The faith in believing... And the love in the fellowship which the Thessalonians possessed for one another bore witness. It was the manifestation of the work of grace in their lives. It bore witness to God's grace and set them apart as men and women upon whom the divine pleasure had settled. It was evident to Paul as it was evident to all the churches who heard about the Thessalonians and witnessed the trials of the Thessalonians that God's grace was upon these people. Paul talks of it as the patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. The patience and faith In all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure. Let me just say, I'm I'm about to wrap this up now, but let me just say, I don't think that these were arbitrary evidences. And what I mean by that is, is this Patience and faith under persecution and tribulation appear to me to be characteristic of the testimony of God's people. In all ages. Is that not what we've been thinking about in Isaiah? Is that not the experience that we see when we look at church history? Is that not the experience that we have in our own lives that we are called to evidence patience and faith under persecution and tribulation? You ask me what characterises a believer more than any other trait, and I would say patience in persecution, faith in tribulation. And that's not to disparage the other fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. But that long-suffering is something that we are all subject to. These two are Perhaps the two that most contradict the natural man within us, and therefore most display the grace of God in us. Paul gloried in the Thessalonians not because he'd been instrumental in bringing them to a knowledge of the Lord, although he had, but because the fame and reputation of their faithfulness in trial was both a testimony to the grace of God and a blessing to other believers and churches who witnessed it. So too, as the Lord's people suffer today, patiently and faithfully, we trust God's wisdom and we don't doubt his love. We exhibit true faith in our hearts and God's grace In our lives. So may the Lord be pleased to teach us by the example of these Thessalonians, these brethren, more of his grace and peace and something of the evidences of true faith in persevering in the face of our own trials and our own tribulations. Amen.